Hello and welcome to the Hustle and Bustle podcast. My name is Nicole Bennett and I'm an urban and regional planner and I'm the host of this podcast. Each episode I bring you conversations with city shapers and urban thinkers, leaders in the field of urban planning and city building. I'm located here on the beautiful Gold Coast in Australia. We're a host city for the Brisbane 2032 Olympics and Paralympics. So the next 10 years is being described as the golden decade for our city and our region. The conversations on this podcast help us understand the opportunities and challenges ahead. So please take a minute from your busy hustle and bustle day and let's have a great conversation. And welcome to episode 14 of the Hustle and Bustle podcast. Today I have the absolute pleasure of interviewing a dear friend and colleague of mine. Amy Degenhart is Director of Degenhart Shed Architecture and Urban Design. But beyond that, Amy has leaped into the realm of property development, heading up two companies, Bubble Up and Urban Pure, and is the driving force behind a number of exemplar terrace housing developments within southeast Queensland. Most notably, I think, is Envy, a micro-urban village, which is a small lot housing development in Southport on the Gold Coast. It's won multiple awards for its unique approach to solving the housing supply and affordability challenge we are facing. I was fortunate to help Amy in the beginning of this project. We purchased the development site together and secured the development approval for what is a completely different approach to affordable missing middle housing. Amy has since guided that project through every step of its journey to becoming a positive message of change in our industry about what is possible in delivering exemplary design outcomes. But this isn't the only project that Amy has championed, and her journey towards design excellence in small lot housing has been refined through involvement across southeast Queensland, particularly on projects such as Fitzgibbon Chase in North Brisbane, Also, the Garden Terrace is right next door to Envy, and even her work in Varsity Lakes over many years. So thank you for joining me, Amy, and especially to chat about small lot housing excellence, which is a real passion and expertise of yours. Yes, it certainly is, Nicole. Thank you so much for um, having me on Hustle and Bustle. It's a real honour to be here. Not a problem. So as I alluded to in the introduction... A key challenge we are currently facing in southeast Queensland is housing supply and affordability. Higher density housing tends to mean medium and high-rise development to many people. However, you approach this challenge very differently to many people and have had huge success in innovating in this space. A term some people are now talking about is missing middle housing. Can you tell me about your experiences in tackling this challenge? Yeah, well, certainly, Nicole, and, and uh, just um, alluding to your introduction, it's just so wonderful to have this kind of full cycle where we started together and here we are sitting at um, the culmination of Open House when Envy was featured and we're talking together about the, the future of this um, um, prototype of housing. Um, I love the fact that you cut straight to the chase, uh, to the point with, um, you know, high density. It is, in fact, Envy is approaching 100 dwellings per hectare, so it is actually high density. And that is, and we should pause for a moment and just um, kind of consider what that means. It's not high rise, but yet it's delivering a density that's very similar to that. And that has value when you need to get bums on seats, so to speak, um, bed, you know, bums on beds maybe in the city. 
Um, and yet at the same time, not, it's not always appropriate to be going past two or three stories, nor is it very affordable from a, a, a construction cost per square meter rate. The NV model is a little bit different there. However, I'd also like to say that it's a translatable model that doesn't necessarily have to be high density. It can be, you know, really kind of just edging a little bit over a low density outcome. And that means that it can translate from um, suburban to peri-urban to urban areas actually quite easily once the model of urban or brownfield infill subdivision is understood and you know we can really get you know we can really get some learning out out of the experience at Envy to make it better faster and just more beautiful yeah absolutely and it is such a beautiful outcome I think uh, everyone who visits you know certainly remarks to me that it's just you've done so well especially integrating the green into the vertical you know building which is just which is just beautiful so can we just talk about more about the the design and how you've sort of tackled, rather than going vertical, how do you maximise the use of the land to to create an outcome that is very different? To yeah, that's certainly a great question. Um, effectively, and I think you, you, you were part of that process, we had to design the land and the houses at the same time. So as an architect, we're, we're usually given a brief and, you know, we... we kind of the land is a given and then we make the house to fit but in in the case of envy if we didn't use every particular every single millimeter available to us in the best way possible we couldn't have got the outcome so we had to really start with um, services of the land then do the houses but then of course the houses maybe didn't quite work so we had to go back and amend the services maybe the lot widths Everything had to be, um, you know, kind of in, in that malleable state until we finally crystallized, a, you know, a pattern that was going to work both for the land and for the dwelling. In terms of the dwelling designs, I think we had incredible challenges at the streetscape. You mentioned the vertical green and um, when your setbacks are 500 millimeters and maybe going up to as much as three meters, you know, the very generous setbacks of the um, micro terraces, you don't have a lot of um, green space to, or, or a space to landscape. And then out of that, some driveways come in and then you have services, biofiltration, um, treatment for stormwater, um, electricity, uh, pillars, a lot of stuff goes on in that sort of space. So that was a design exercise in and of itself. And I kind of, uh, I allude to it as sort of musical chairs. <laughs> it's like one thing has to go here or there, and then if it doesn't work, you switch it round. <laughs> so um, that was a lot of fun. Sometimes when the music stopped, and you, you just had to deal with what you had. So, um, yeah, that was, that was a big part. The second part of the design, I think the challenging part was light and ventilation, of course. So with built boundary walls, uh, as terrace housing has, we needed to use a flute design to its... Um, maximum ability to uh, enter light in the front and the back. And that was the case for most of the dwellings. The corner lot dwellings were a little bit different, and I can um, get into those in a second. But I think we just used some very, very simple strategies. Firstly, a slightly higher ceiling. And we're talking affordability here. So 2550, which is about one hand higher than what your, your sort of minimum ceiling height is for habitable rooms. And that allowed for ceiling fans to feel more comfortable. 
It also allowed a little bit more height in the windows. And we used that very effectively and with white glass so that the residents could put curtains over the bottom part of their windows to create privacy and kind of shade furniture and things, you know, TV screens were necessary. But the top part was still able to emit light and, in fact, be open for ventilation even when you go to work or, um, you know, at any time. So there was always these opportunities to get light of different kinds and still have privacy both ends of the house. We use this strategy with louvers as well. And um, it's simple but but really helpful and effective. I love that flute design. You know, it's that the houses are built to boundary on the side walls, but as you say, it's the front and the back that are almost – you know, completely open. You know, there's such such a significant element of glass to the front and the back, which yeah, it helps bring the outside in. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I think another point, and I mentioned at the tour on Saturday, and you'll remember the city architect um, Ed Hasem at the time. You know, we we focused on things, even internal details such as the um, the open riser stairs. So with a 3.6 meter wide lot, which is the case for I think seven other dwellings, the internal space was about 3.35. And out of that, we still needed stored stairs, et cetera, et cetera. So kind of mandating the fact that that stair would never become a storage area and just blocked off and that it would be open riser, so transparent, you could see all the way through the house, was really an important element because that also linked the the first floor with the ground floor. And so the first floor light opportunities kind of filtered into the ground floor. And where we were where we were really lucky, we were able to either use um, translucent glazing to one of the bedrooms, which was a kind of a fun effect we created in some of the micro terraces, or um, skylights, which some of the urban pods enjoyed. They were a bit longer in their format. So the skylights were really great to introduce into the middle of the urban pods. So... Light, ventilation and, you know, privacy and green, those are the keys, I think. The winning the winning recipe. So I think we should probably just take yeah. a step back maybe and explain to our audience what the what the actual configuration of Envy is. So you've mentioned a couple of products there, the micro terrace and the urban pod. Could we maybe just explain sort of how how big the site is? From my memory, it's about is it six less than six hundred and fifty square meters overall, the whole development site. Very, very close. You've kind of um, t- taken a stab in the middle. So it was 673, but then we had to take away 61 square metres for the easement. That's so, right. <laughs> yeah, so we're left, with, we're left with about 600. So there you go. Like that is such a a common nugget of, of residential land size. Almost everyone can kind of understand that. Out of yeah. that 600 square metres, we then eventually um, created 10 freehold lots. Interestingly enough, most of those lots were averaging around 60 square meters, which sort of makes sense to the math. But then some of them were larger and some were smaller. And this is a very important point because that's where the diversity comes in. So one of the lots on the end might have been, you know, 135, and some of the ones on Marin Street were actually around about 90 square meters. So we had that diversity in not only configuration to the street, but also in land size. And what was the smallest lot size again? 38 square meters and so also to to answer your question about the housing typologies or or the as you say the types of housing i'll go through those um the pico pod is the dwelling that's sitting on the smallest block of land at 38 square meters it's uh i always kind of look at that one and describe it as a bit of a caterpillar it's kind of the same top and bottom 
and it also <laughs> well <laughs> if houses can be caterpillars and I guess that's as close as you can get um, it also does the job of um, I think we envisioned it as a um, an incubator so I think I had San Francisco on my mind you know working downstairs with home-based business being exempt in the PDA and with the um, w- with the front of the house so close to the street, it really kind of felt like shop fronty. So we had uh, the opportunity to create almost like a business environment downstairs, and then you go upstairs and live. So that was the Pico Pod, 38 square meters, and no on-street car parking. Yeah. Peter Nelson yesterday was very pleased with my new term, car weaning. So that's in fact what <laughs> Envy is doing. We're trying to teach the world that we don't always need a car. Sometimes we do, but not everybody and not all the time. So there are some opportunities at Envy to purchase a house without a car, and that being an a la carte choice is, in fact, where some of the affordability comes in as well. But I remember that process was you designed it so they could have a scooter. Is that right? Oh, absolutely. Not so much the PicoPod. So moving now to the micro-terrace, It really did some heavy lifting in some ways for the entire um, subdivision because it provided the uh, larger front courtyards. Firstly, yes, for the scooter um, and thus the double gates and that kind of um, larger paving area, but also it it provided uh, something very essential for the streetscape, and that was the um, opportunity and space for the feature tree. So there's three micro-terraces, and each one of those um, supply the space for a feature tree, And very stealthfully, they also supplied the opportunity for the um, biofiltration devices. Now, those devices were very interesting because they were originally meant to be quite ugly concrete boxes. And Michael Bale and Rodney Reynolds came up with this idea that all it really needs to be is something with planting in it. And so we actually translated those boxes into planters and they work really effectively and they blend in with that sort of feature tree uh, character of the micro terraces. So they're super green at the front. Yeah, Um, and that was a major requirement for that part of Southport, which sits within the garden precinct, you know, of the Southport priority development area. So this is this is Southport. It's the CBD of the Gold Coast and sort of this is the southern precinct of the CBD that is that garden precinct and so one of the concerns from council planners at the time was that the the site coverage of the buildings might have been a bit higher than what a high rise that you know might be sort of squished in the middle of a site and so there was a concern there that you wouldn't get the greenery but I think you proved them all wrong with that. Oh yeah absolutely I am so I am so convinced that we did and I think I've done some exercises and some mathematical analysis of different developments nearby and I I think we definitely have and what um, perhaps I didn't uh, articulate or or didn't know how to articulate at the beginning um, when that was being scrutinized was how valuable it was that we had to push the green right to the very edge so the people that enjoy it the most are the um, are are in the community, the residents that are walking down the footpath. So they're getting just like oodles of green that they normally aren't being presented with because our sites were challenged for site cover. So, you know, it's like a win-win scenario. Um, And in fact, the urban pods, which is kind of the the third form of um, housing prototype, 
they really challenged that site cover. And it was a balancing act. Microterraces were maybe 50%, urban pods were maybe 80 or 90% site cover. And so they would fluctuate. So with the urban pods, we still had to get some tree landscaping in there. So that sort of vertical vines and the more narrow style of um, a tree were just really essential and um, exploring the opportunities of what you can do with plants with a very small amount of space is uh, it's just a whole nother learning curve of the whole um, micro lot development process. Oh, totally. And I think we should explain. So the urban pods are the two bedroom. And have they got two bathrooms? No, you're right, Nicole. They're the sweet spot. They are the um, bread and butter of the real estate sort of um, iconology in Southport. Two bedrooms, two bathrooms and one car, undercover car. And with the two bathrooms, you're allowed to have that en suite, that really precious commodity that everybody is after. Yeah, and what's the, what other sort of typologies are there? Yes, there's one more. Um, well, actually two more. <laughs> there's, there's, there was probably only one more at the beginning, which was the, um, the, the, the village home, and that was envisioned as the uh, suburban home in the city. So, you know, you could, you could raise your family. It was meant to have three bedrooms, two and a half bathrooms, two cars undercover, um, the whole shebang. So um, that was kind of the um, the manor home of, of the village, so to speak. Um, but in the end of the day, we did end up with a with a final typology as uh, the village terrace. Now the village terrace was a small footprint, but it still had some echoes of the of the village home. It had the garage, but only a single one. It had first floor living, which was a little bit different, and it just had some funky opportunities for loft spaces that exemplified one of the other design aspects I forgot to sort of echo, and that was, in fact, the raked ceiling. So that volume of the raked ceiling was really important. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think it's interesting because, you know, these are house and land packages, as you alluded to initially, you know. So this is bringing that suburban kind of product that you might get in Coomera or Pimpma or some of those suburban areas, you know, those growth areas that we have, and it's bringing them and it's urbanising them and creating a, a such a unique, design opportunity within this you know the CBD and within walking distance of Southport and parklands and of light rail stations and you know all of those things that you wouldn't get in a suburban location um, but what that means is nobody corporate you know what that means is yeah. the ability to customize you know and you worked with each of the purchasers to design mm. their kitchens and to pick you know fin- finishes and fixtures and things that they wanted in their home um, which I think is so unique. Absolutely housing choices is is what it's all about it's a little ironic I, I know you you and I we set out to create three housing typologies and I've just gone through five, so um, <laughs> we expanded, but uh, we're, all, we're always overachievers. We also only set out to get four first-home buyers, and we ended up with seven, so good on us. You know, that was an exciting process. You mentioned the, um, the customization. That's no small point to, to factor in. It, it was just such a joy for those first-home buyers uh, and the non-first-home buyers, of course, but probably surprisingly the first-home buyers were, were keen to do that customization. It was really evident because the micro-terraces, which were all first-home buyers, were the three homes that were very much the same in terms of their actual configuration, design, footprint, exactly the same. And yet 
when you have the privilege of, of looking in or maybe just seeing photos of the three of them, they are all, all completely different inside. They've yeah. curated, each owner would curate the stair, the kitchen, the bathroom, the colours, the finishes. Yeah, amazing. And you don't get that in an apartment building, just the way that it's set up, you know, and, and sort of the builders and, and the developers um, sort of produce those. It's a totally different model of development. So it is a really unique um, outcome here. Okay. Well, I'm just the developers have all the fun. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and that wasn't, that was, that was a challenging process, I know. So, yeah. um, you know, but it, it, the outcomes are, speak for themselves, I think. I'm keen to just get your thoughts, you know, so we've spoken about Envy being a pilot project and, you know, it is, it has proven incredibly successful. I think, you know, we needed to push the boundaries a lot at the beginning and, and ask people to have faith that, you know, this was just a, a test, you know, and, it, and, but I think it's won, you know, so many awards, but I think it's real testament of success is how much it's loved by its residents. Yeah, um, yeah. And so I'm wondering, now that we've sort of proven this project to be a success, what needs to change, you know, and I know you probably haven't had a huge amount of time to really consider this. What do you think needs to change in policy and implementation to support future projects like Envy? Yeah, thanks, Nicole, for asking that question. It's such an important question. And yes, I'm, I'm still teasing out answers and, and throwing them, you know, out, out to the, profession as well as that to myself and, and wondering what you know what pathways we could change and, and yes just alluding to the the joy of the residents we you know in the tour on Saturday we we got an unsolicited um, you know guy walking by just joining in to compliment the um, you know the project and how much he enjoyed watching it take place and see it come to fruition and it was you know that it's just such gorgeous feedback so um, and that's an important platform to start on because I think a lot of the challenges that we faced in bringing NV into being or this particular style of um, compact urban infill subdivision house and land package project has to do with, a, you know, let's face a little bit of fear of the unknown. And that's um, not only by planners, but also a little bit by the community or maybe it's the other way around and, and the industry in general, finance uh, all of those where it's going away from the status quo. I think some of the opportunities to bring pathways where the Envy style of project could happen are in, I think a lot of them are actually at maybe at the state level of planning where it could be recognised that a few simple ingredients that happen in every community across Queensland would unlock opportunities for this style of development, which would then unlock opportunities for local builders and local residents to stay in place, build in place, and create more affordable housing choices. Those steps need to be, I think, taken at a statewide level. And you and I haven't had a chance to talk about it, but I've been doing a lot of work with Metricon Homes on the Manor Homes in New South Wales. And the Manor Home Code has allowed that type of statewide planning predictability in terms of taking a single, more or less suburban lot, I think an RT, RD2 density, to be transformed into three or four. With housing prices and construction prices as they are, the, uh, the concept of taking a single a dwelling lot and, and throwing away a house 
albeit possibly dilapidated, but still a house. Um, and making two houses is just not an affordable scenario. We need that scenario to include three or four, or in Envy's case, of course, ten. But that's subject to other scenarios like uh, appropriate co-location with amenities and services and transport. So that's one statewide recipe that I I would love to see a lot of discussion about. Um, there are others as well. I, I think a sort of I, I think it's a little bit of a naughty word, but this sort of spot rezoning. <laughs> but I, it's not spot rezoning. It's like micro rezoning, and it's it's again maybe a con, um, uh, having to do with maybe particular lot configurations such as corner lots, where you know maybe there you know could be some. Um, uh, a special consideration for those, but maybe under the guise where there's a, also a professional self-certification. So we look to the ability for engineers in the priority development area to self-certify some of the some of the infrastructure work that that they were participating on to avoid the red tape of council approvals. Perhaps the architectural profession, with their highly regulated uh, ability to to perform their, their duties as an architect, um, also their insurance and, and, and their experience and, ed, and education, using those sort of hidden resources to possibly go and, and unlock some um, low-key uh, opportunities within areas where there'd be less scrutiny and more predictability if you had an architect on board for a project. I mean, I think that might be an opportunity we could explore. I'd like to see, you know, maybe you've got some ideas too. I mean, we talked in the affordable housing, uh, affordable homes documentary yesterday, there was one point I did forget to make, um, and that point was maybe the idea of doing shells and where there was a lot more co-participation with residents than, than what even Envy was able to do, whereas the, the builders and town planners, oh, sorry, the architects and town planners and in, in a sense the builders did a lot of the heavy lifting in terms of the subdivision, the um, construction of the shell, the planning approvals, but the um, the residents were then able to come in and basically fit out a home just like somebody might fit out an office. Yeah, and I think that's a great point as well. I think um, I think my biggest sort of takeaway is it's a full review that's needed, not just a singular code or a singular sort of provision. Well, yes, and, you know, Nicole, you hit the nail on the head, and I did have it in my notes, and, you know, I'm so glad that you mentioned it. There's, I think there's a really simple um, way we could experiment, or, and that is up the density, not the height. Now, if anybody wants to have a look at maybe what that outcome would be, Varsity Lakes um, had that 60 dwellings per hectare, and yet it was still in the suburbs. And that's where they created those living options. And that was, a, in fact, a forerunner uh, of the micro lot subdivision. Now, so th- that's a really simple tool. And I'm not saying it's like a, um, it's, it's going to solve everything, but it's certainly a tool that's not being used, to my knowledge, to kind of any extent, whereas I think in some of the transitional areas, it's a perfect way to go from here down to here and actually literally create what's missing. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it, it is something I really would like to emphasize that the outcome of envy, diversity, its presentation to the street, its affordability, its success has to do with its separate titles. Yes. Now, all of that's lost when you look at the end bit. And people 
constantly talk about them as townhouses or whatever. Those titles create that difference. Yeah. There's a place where that type of quality shines through in a completely different way, and that's Queenstown in New Zealand. But it's not residential, it's actually commercial. And the basis of those small titles is mining leases. But what you end up with in the commercial area in Queenstown is a very vibrant and um, and, and fine-grained and affordable, diverse range of shops and um, retail experiences, which are not anything like big box. So and grassroots too. You know, they're oh, they're owned absolutely. by people that live in the area. They're not owned by the big meg megaglomerates who are sort of national or worldwide company. Exactly, exactly. And and you know, it's the same old adage: if you put in the same stuff, how can you expect a different result? Yeah. So in fact, by by changing up the titling arrangements, why wouldn't we expect a different result? And in the case of Envy, and, and you know, Queenstown's one example, and also I'd say if it's given trace, which you alluded to in your introduction, I think those results are in fact different. They do speak for themselves, and I think they do create a pattern book for planners and the industry to take note and and hopefully to to maybe support that idea of the high density low rise as an option. Amy, I have loved chatting with you today and and I'm sorry but that's all we have time for. But I do want to just thank you for being so inspiring and persistent um, and courageous in this pursuit of excellence. I think um, all your hard work is really paying off and I hope you take some time to stop and reflect on just what you've been able to achieve. But thank you for your time today. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I just enjoyed every minute. And thank you for tuning in to the Hustle and Bustle podcast this week. A huge shout out to those people who have left a rating on the uh, Apple podcast platform. I really appreciate it. You can follow the show on Instagram, hustle underscore bustle underscore podcast. We also have a home on LinkedIn, search hustle and bustle podcast and request to join the group. So that's all from this episode. Thanks again for listening. I'll catch you next time. Bye.